0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. God, as we come to your word this morning, that we would not be neglectful of all that is going on around us, and yet, Lord, that we would not be so fixated by it that we would be distracted. Uh, from what you would have us to see and what you would have us to hear above all to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus and to hear what he would have to say to us not just this morning but in the midst of all that is going on around us it is in his name we pray amen i approach our text this morning matthew chapter 28 with conflicted emotions uh as I mentioned in the prayer, it's really hard for me to not look at this passage, which we often call the Great Commission, uh, through any other lens other than our present circumstances. And of course, that's right for us to be able to take our cultural lens and, and see what the Bible would have to say to it, but right now there just seems to be so much going on and so much happening, and not just in the world, but probably in our individual hearts, that when we come to passages like this, it doesn't spark the same excitement. In fact, it may do the opposite. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, I don't want to go. I'm tired. I'm emotionally exhausted. I don't want to do anything. And yet, because of COVID being cooped up for so long, I'd just about go anywhere. I was reading in the New York Times the other day that there are people who are ready to get on planes, even if it means going to another place and being quarantined for two weeks. That's fine for them because they just want to be able to get out of the confines of their own home or even their own city. And so even as we approach this text this morning... I hope that we can have open ears in order to hear what Jesus would have to say to us. And this morning I am going to preach this text through our current circumstances that surround us in our world, and certainly in Birmingham, Alabama. Now Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's been released from the bonds of the prison of death, and he brings his disciples together and he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Now that he's been released from prison, that is the prison of death, he now can reign in totality. He's the embodiment of the kingdom. And when Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, what Jesus is saying is that I have the final word over everything. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has the final word over your life. And so when he says go, we have no choice but to go. And because he has the final word over everything, it's not just over our lives. It's a final word over the nations. Jesus, is, his kingdom is not confined to those areas in which we would call Christian. He reigns over all. As Abraham Kuyper would say, that there's not square, one square inch of this world that doesn't belong to Jesus. He's sovereign over your life. He has the final word over the nations, which means that he has the final word over time. That the promise in Revelation 7, where the nations would come around the throne of God, a multitude, so many that John couldn't number, singing praises to the Lamb, That will be a reality because Jesus has said so. Now in this time, we may only catch glimpses of it. Revelation 7 won't become a full reality until Jesus comes back again. But that doesn't mean that his power is any less and his command over our lives, his command over the nations, and his command over time is any less than it will be in that great day when Jesus returns. Because he reigns even now from heaven. And so because Jesus has the final word over everything, when he says go and make disciples of all nations... As Christians, we have no choice but to go, which is really hard for us to do right now because none of us are going anywhere. So how do we go right now? Well, most of us have kind of broken out of quarantine, and uh, we've even got a name for it. Someone said, you'll be in our quarantine pod, although it's completely arbitrary in our family. the, the, The way to get into our quarantine pod is just to like us and for us to like you medicine is out the window and so it may be within your pod or within your family that you're able to speak the gospel and I know that probably like me you've been having conversations with friends from long long ago and you find yourself on the phone a lot longer than you ever have been and the time flies and you're not just talking about catching up or, or small talk because there's nothing really to talk about of, you know, the question, well, what are you up to these days? The word is absolutely nothing. And certainly the events that are going on around us in our country and in our city and even around the world, around the killing of innocent black men and women, there's something to talk about that is of more depth and more value and more significance than we might normally talk about. And so those spiritual conversations are there. Or even as you're watching now, I know that there are some people watching now who normally wouldn't go to church, but because you can do it within the safety of your own home and there's no intimidation, maybe for the first time in your life you're engaging with Jesus. And so if there is ever a time to go, even though we have to find creative means to do it, when Jesus says go, there are ways to go. And like in days apart from COVID-19, we have to be creative in finding those ways to go. We may not be able to get on a plane and, and go to another country. We may not even be able to get into our cars because of curfew and go across town. But we can still go. And because Jesus has the final word over everything, including those of us who claim to be Christians, we have no other choice but to go. And what are we doing when we're going? We're making disciples. And this is the hard part, because most Christians don't have a hard time going. Of course I'll do a mission trip as long as I can build a house but not have to talk to anybody about Jesus. But Jesus himself says, yes, building houses is great. Uh, I've been a part of those. Ministries like Habitat for Humanity are things that we ought to engage in. But Jesus is specific here saying that's not the end. Because ultimately what we're trying to do is to make disciples. And so when we go to a different place, we might build houses, we might dig wells, We might engage in the communities in which we're living in, but all of that is so that we might ultimately engage people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus says to make disciples, he's not simply talking about conversions and reducing people to a spiritual statistic. He's calling us to treat them as human beings. To care for the whole person. Not simply to say, well, now that they're converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, now that I've told them about God's great love for them, that he loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Once that truth is sunk down in their hearts, now I can just move on to the next person. But no, disciple could just as easily be translated as an apprentice one who follows after the Lord Jesus Christ. And my experience in the Christian life is that the easiest part of my life as a Christian was when I was first converted. I was ready to charge hell with a water pistol. I didn't really need anybody to encourage me on or to say, you should read your Bible or you should pray. I was there. It was a little bit of time after I became a Christian where the real spiritual attacks from Satan came where the temptations from the devil, the world, and my own flesh came. It was then that I needed other Christians to come around me and to pray for me, to speak God's word into my life, to support me, to walk alongside me, to help me understand what it meant to be an apprentice, a follower of Jesus. So Jesus is not saying, go and make converts. He's saying, go and make disciples. People who have not just accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, but know him as Lord, who have given themselves wholly over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though they may continue to struggle to give God dominion over their lives, and there are areas of our lives that we hold on to tightly or don't want God to have control over, nonetheless, the Christian knows the struggle is real. That's what Jesus wants from us. He wants us, not just our souls, but He's making for Himself a people. And He's sending us to all nations. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody. Christianity is not simply a Western religion. It's not the embodiment of a particular culture. And so when we go into all the nations making disciples, we're not asking people to conform to a culture. In Anglicanism, it's not simply an extension of the British Empire, we're not looking for them to copy our culture. And even in our own nation, we often get stuck in this mindset that there is a cultural superiority, even if we're not willing to admit it, or even if we're blind to it, that gets exhibited in our own individual congregations and cultures. And that is, we think, that if you're really to be Christian, then you ought to look a whole lot like the other Christians around you. And on the face of it, we know that that's nonsense. But I fall into that trap too. I remember growing up, I was the only Christian in my family for the longest time, and I prayed mightily for my brothers, especially my mother had come to faith, and my brothers uh, were, were, would ultimately come to faith. But where I grew up, let me just say this, that you were either into horses or you were into cows. And neither the twain shall meet. And uh, growing up, I was into horses, and one of my brothers was into cows. And so I would wear... Basically, what I wear now is what I wore since I was nine years old. Khakis, button-down or a polo, sometimes front-tucked, loafers without socks, maybe boat shoes if I'm going casual. And my brother had no problem going out in public in overalls. And I know it sounds crazy, but when my brother became a Christian, I thought he'd stop wearing overalls. I thought he'd, he'd enjoy the same things that I enjoy. He would dress the same way that I would dress. And shame on any of us who think that becoming a Christian means that we have to conform to some particular expression of culture. Because if that's what it is, it's no wonder that people don't believe in Jesus. Because what we've done is we've created a stumbling block to the gospel Someone once described to me that ministry or mission is moving the gospel in a culturally acceptable vehicle. And so what might be a culturally acceptable vehicle here at the Advent is a different cultural vehicle somewhere else. And nonetheless, if somebody who doesn't fit into your culture darkens the doors of your church, would they feel welcomed? Or would they have to get through all of these cultural accretions to be able to actually see Jesus? And I don't think it's enough for churches to say, well, we'll minister to that culture, but not minister to that culture. It doesn't mean that you don't have a clear vision and mission and that you might be more capable and able at reaching a certain demographic. But we can't say... We can leave this kind of person to the wayside and let somebody else do it. When Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, was asked, why are you going all the way to China to tell people about Jesus? After all, there are plenty of people in England, plenty of people in Birmingham, Alabama, that need to hear about Jesus. Why are you going all that way? And Hudson Taylor said, because if I don't go, who will? Brothers and sisters, if we don't go, who will? Does it mean that we don't pray that God would raise up others in order to go into the mission field, whether it be to the end of the street corner or whether it be to the ends of the earth? But might it be that God is calling us today to go and make disciples of all nations, however that's manifested in Birmingham, Alabama? And when we go into all nations, how do we make disciples? We baptize them, we initiate them. And this is more than just the water baptism that we've become familiar with in the tradition of the church. Jesus is saying, I want you to immerse them in me. And not just in me, but to be immersed and brought into the family of God. Not just the universal church, but a particular church. Because if you're going to be baptized, you have to have a local community in which to be baptized in. No one can baptize themselves. And so Jesus is saying, one of the ways in which disciples are made is by baptizing them, which means that they come into a local church and they become family. I'm struck by what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, when he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. I mean, COVID aside, who are you willing to kiss these days? Right? You would only kiss somebody who, who you're really close to. Probably somebody within your immediate family or, or somebody that you're married to. Maybe a close friend. Kissing is something that is intimate. And yet Paul is saying is that Christians ought to be greeting one another with a holy kiss. Now you can explain it away and say, well culturally that might have been okay for Paul. And I'll leave it to you to determine what sort of culturally acceptable social intimacy would demonstrate a holy kiss to brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ today in our context. That's what it means to be baptized. It means to be baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ, taking hold of him by faith, but it also means being baptized into a family. Now, I realize that our time is getting away from us, but I think that this is important for us to dwell on a little bit. Because we see that in addition to baptizing, Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching is the primary function of any ministry. If it were only going to all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity, that would be a deficient ministry. It's not enough just to baptize. But now that they've been baptized into the family of God, then their apprenticeship begins. And what are they to teach? Jesus says, Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Or, translated another way, Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. What are they to teach? All that Jesus taught them. Well, what has Jesus taught? Who is Jesus? And so understanding that when Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, I don't think that Jesus is just saying the red letters in the Bible. Because if Jesus is God the Son, God in the flesh, and all Scripture is God-breathed, then it means teaching the entire counsel of God. And this is where things often break down in mission and ministry. I heard recently a ministry say that their primary goal in what they were trying to set out and do, number one for them, was to not be embarrassed by anything the Bible has to say. I've never heard it put that way. I've heard people say that to preach and declare the whole counsel of God uh, or to declare the Bible in its totality, to trust in the uh, inspiration of the Bible, but I've never heard anyone say to not be embarrassed by what the Bible has to say because, in fact, in 21st century Christianity, many people who lay hold of the name Christian are embarrassed by what the Bible has to say. And this is not uh, anything new. Jesus encountered this in his own day. In John chapter 6, when Jesus began to teach them, and he gave some really hard teachings, saying that his body was flesh and his blood was for the nations, and that if anyone were to eat and drink of him, they would know eternal life. And in response to that, many of his disciples heard it, and they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And Jesus answered them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe, which means your flesh is speaking to you more than the Spirit of God. And Jesus says, after many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, Do you want to go away as well? Embarrassment over what Jesus is saying, what the Bible is saying, ultimately leads to people saying this is too hard and walking away. A column recently appeared on AL.com that criticized Christians for reducing the turmoil we find ourselves in to simply a spiritual issue. The writer said that this is being used to sidestep the issue, which to him means that no solution will be forthcoming if it's simply left up to God. And he may have a point. But I wonder if it would be different if we kept reading our Bibles. Rather than being embarrassed or wringing our hands and closing the Bible, We kept reading it because it's not enough to say, well, God is going to sort this out. Indeed, we hear God call us in 2 Corinthians 13, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. It does no good for us to hold up a Bible and claim it has the answer if we're not willing to open it and read for ourselves what God has to say. A closed Bible is no threat to the devil, and it cannot affect change in our lives and cannot affect change in our world. Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I have taught you. The whole counsel of God, not just the bits we like or that which we think is pertinent, Not allowing ourselves to skip over those things we are embarrassed by. All, Jesus says. And nor do we need to treat the Bible like a talisman. That simply its mere presence in our conversation politically is enough. Because reading the Bible apart from the Spirit is no good. Jesus is saying that if you want to see real change in the world around you, the first thing is to see hearts converted. Because an unconverted heart, as Jesus says in John chapter 6, can't hear what the Spirit is saying to them. Only the Spirit can speak into the life of the believer. Only the Spirit can open the ears of our hearts to hear what God is saying in his word. Any attempt to change the world apart from the preaching of the gospel, empowered by the Spirit, ultimately will fail. And so it comes with the preaching of the gospel, the converted heart, God giving us a heart that allows us to aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Or as he says here in Matthew 28, I am with you to the very end of the age. I'm with you always. He tells us in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You're not left to yourself in this. And even while we were singing this morning, I found myself looking around our nave at the stained glass windows and the images of Jesus and asking him the question in my heart, why haven't you come back? Why won't you come now and set things to rights? Why won't you just deal with sin and death once and for all now? Because that is the cry of my heart. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But here he tells us, even now, even though we see through the glass darkly, even though we live in the shadowlands where Revelation 7 is not a reality, We are still not left to ourselves. Where is God? He's here. He's right here. Do you want to see the presence of God manifested in our world? Do you want to know the reality of his presence? Brothers and sisters, Jesus tells us exactly how that happens. He calls us to make followers after him of all nations, irrespective of culture, to baptize them in the name of the Trinity, to bring them not only into fellowship with God, but to bring them into fellowship with one another and teaching them to observe all that the counsel of God declares in the Bible and his promises that we're not alone, but is with us until the very end of the age when Revelation 7, where every tongue and every tribe And every nation will gather around the throne of the Lamb who was slain for us. Let us pray. God, get us out of ourselves. Help us to see the great commission for what it is. A mission of love. A mission of acceptance. A mission of declaring to this entire world, no matter our skin color our cultural convictions, Lord, all of that fades in the light of the glorious radiance of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the proclamation of his gospel. And so, Lord, even with the restrictions that we experience even today, help us to go. Use us, Lord, to proclaim the gospel so that hearts might be changed and thereby the face of the world might be renewed. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.